Uh, this morning, I'm going to take just about 20, 25 minutes and finish up the series uh, that we have been in. Uh, and in this series, we have been dealing with simplifying what has been wrongfully complicated. Everybody knows some things are just complex and complicated. Uh, you know, one of those, one of the things that amazes me uh, that, that I think is complex and complicated, and I've shared a thing or two with you every week. One of those things that I thought about this week is the cloud. Have you ever thought about, everybody know what I'm talking about when I say the cloud? Have you ever thought about how complex and complicated, you know, the uh, all this electronic stuff and files are just up there somewhere in a cloud and somehow we can access them at our will. That's kind of scary, isn't it, in a way? Uh, you know, they're not stored on your computer. They're stored in the cloud. You connect to the Internet, you can find them. So it's almost like, where are they exactly? So other things that are complex and complicated, like some people's, I won't preach on this long, don't worry, some people's commitment to soap operas and reality TV shows. Angie's great-grandmother who founded Dorothy Pentecostal Church one time years ago put in a prayer request for some people on a soap opera. That's how seriously, that's how seriously they, they took those shows. And another thing, last thing I'll share today that's just sometimes complex and complicated, Kentucky weather. Can I hear an amen? Do you realize the high today is supposed to be 75? The low tonight is supposed to be 38. Did you know that? That's complex and complicated. Our faith was never supposed to be complicated, never supposed to be complex, or never supposed to be confusing. So just in case you have missed this series, I'm going to hit this again very quickly. Man has the propensity, human beings, us, we have the propensity to make things harder than they should be. So we find uh, in the Bible that by the time Jesus arrives on the scene, that man had severely complicated things. Um, Facebook is down and it'll be back up in 10 minutes they're telling me so I don't think anybody watching will be watching so they can hear me say that but anyway if you're watching and you heard me say that if you're not went down you're going down we'll see you in about 10 or 15 minutes but uh, man has this propensity to make things harder than they should be so by the time Jesus arrives on the scene in the Bible we discover this because man had taken the Ten Commandments and from the Ten Commandments they had made 613 laws some of which had 63 subsections and one subsection had as many as 39 categories I think we would all agree that is ridiculously complicated so we've been trying to get back to the simple things that Jesus taught us to do I've been asking you to wrestle with the decision if you are a true disciple it's easy to call ourselves a disciple but are you a true disciple we said disciples are disciples because they choose to obey. The local church has defined disciple uh, in, in the what I think is the best and most efficient way, and that's to say that a disciple means to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. If you're not fully devoted, then you aren't a disciple. But the question that's not only partially answered in this series thus far is, what all is the disciple fully devoted to? What are some of the things that the first followers did? So for the last time this morning, we're going to revisit the same passage of Scripture. If you'll stand with me all over the house, we're going to read six verses in the book of Acts chapter 2, beginning with verse 42 in the New International Version. The Word said, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. 
Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. I've already talked about disciples being fully devoted students of the Word. Last week we mentioned fellowship and we talked about how true disciples are people of prayer. These men and women gave their lives to these things. The final thing that I want you to see in the simple approach that the disciples had was that devoted disciples worship. They were worshipers. That's what we're going to talk about today. If you will, stretch your hands toward heaven. Pray with me and for me. Father, we love you. We praise you. We thank you once again for the privilege to be in your presence. You've already been awesome here, but God, we're going to ask you to be awesome through your word now. Anoint it. Move me out of the way. God, let your word go forth in the power and the demonstration of your spirit. We'll give you the glory and the honor and the praise for what you're going to do in and through your word today. In the name of your son, Jesus, we pray. And everybody said, amen. Would you give the Lord a big hand clap of praise as you're being seated this morning? Thank you, Nicholas. You remember that last week I said that when we hear someone talk about prayer, we tend to check out, so to speak, because we've heard about prayer so much. And if that is true regarding prayer, it is true a thousand times more in regards to our worship. We are in a moment of church history that might be the most saturated time with worship resources than any other era that I can remember in my time. And yet it is my contention that we have a few issues in spite of the availability of worship and the atmosphere that we have been able to create for it. First of all, number one, the first contention that I have is this. We, the church, has turned worship into a spectator sport. I'm going to need some help this morning. We watch other people worship, and we say that we have worshipped. We never open our mouth, or we never sing a song, but because we listened to somebody else or another team sing, we treat worship like we treat football and basketball and baseball. Other people played the sport, but in the end, we all won. That's the way we treat worship, like it's a spectator sport. That's the first contention I'm going to talk about. Number two, uh-huh, uh-huh, we are apt to get caught up in the worship of worship. I said we are apt to allow ourselves to get caught up in the worship of worship. So that it becomes more about style and personal preference rather than the object of the worship. If you can't worship because you don't like the song, you're not worshiping God anyway. You're wor Oh, I know you ain't going to help me and I don't really care. I kind of feel good in this. If you're not worshiping because you don't like the style of the music, or the way it's being done, you're not worshiping God anyway. You're worshiping style and personal preference. It doesn't matter if it's done the new way or the old way, the in-between way, or a way you've not even seen yet. As long as it's about Him, 
As long as it magnifies Him, as long as it glorifies Him, it ain't about what you like. It ain't about your personal preference. It's about bringing glory to God. And guess what? Before you even clap, let me tell you this. If it means it's got to please you to worship, then you might be hindering the worship that's going on in here. Say amen, somebody. So if we want to become fully devoted disciples, we must learn some things about how the disciples worshipped. The disciples were holistic in worship. I thought about how to say this, and I could have just as easily said, for the disciples, worship was a lifestyle. But I think we've become so familiar with a statement about a lifestyle of worship that we don't really embrace it. So I chose the word holistic, and this is a day and time where everybody's heard of holistic medicine, right? That people are practicing holistic medicine. The word holistic means this. This is why I chose it. Characterized by comprehension of the parts of something as intimately interconnected and explicable only by reference to the whole. Now, I know that kind of sounds difficult, but let me read it again. Holistic means that it's characterized by the comprehension, being able to comprehend the parts of worship as intimately interconnected and explained only by reference to the whole, and that is what we are worshiping. So worship was a part of the disciples' everyday experience and their life. It was not reserved just for Sundays. Nor was it confined to involving music. Notice in our text that there is no mention of their praise being connected to music. It simply says that they praised God. It said they broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. It never said anything about their praise being connected to music. It just simply says that they praised God. Now, you know, first of all, let me say this. You know, or you should know, if you don't know me well enough, that I have no issues with music. I like music. I like every style. I know some of you can't, but I can worship with bluegrass gospel. Brother Benny might have been my only friend in that regard. But I love bluegrass gospel. Leon's shaking his head. No, he can worship with bluegrass gospel too. John Martin can too. I like, I like the hymns. We live in a day and a time where some people don't like the hymns. I like the hymns. I like the stories behind the hymns more than I like the hymns sometimes. I like the new worship. I'm a musical person with myself. My start in ministry was in music. I love music, listen to me, regardless of style, that is both good and anointed. I don't really care how good it is if it's not anointed. But if it's terrible to start with, it's doubtable that it's going to be anointed. If, you, if God didn't call you to sing, He ain't going to anoint you to sing. If you can't sing to start with, find something else He can anoint you to do. Hallelujah. But that isn't the, I love music that's both good and anointed, but that isn't the point. The point is, their worship was not defined or determined by accompaniment. There are times in your life that you're going to have to worship without a band. 
that you're going to need to worship without a worship team. You're going to need to worship without music or soundtracks playing in the background. Consider Paul and Silas. They worshipped in the dungeon when there weren't recessed Bose speakers in the ceiling, hello, cranking out Jesus culture or Bethel worship. As a matter of fact, they had been beaten probably beyond recognition, shackled and chained and thrown in a dungeon, but yet... They were able to create an atmosphere of worship and praise that shook the very foundation of where they were. My God in heaven, I wish the church could get to the place where what's going on around you does not affect what's going on inside of you. That it doesn't matter what the style is, whether the atmosphere is the way you want it to be, but that we could get a hold of God in a manner that would shake the very foundation of where we are. So there are basically two types of worship that the disciples involved themselves in as their worship became holistic in nature. Paul addresses these two types of worship in Colossians chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. He said, Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms hymns and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. So Paul is addressing corporate worship. Paul knew that as worship becomes a part of our daily experience, that we lose the need to be coerced, or prodded to worship. I'm tired, and I've been guilty myself of doing it, of every service I go to, and I'm not specifically talking about here, other places as well, where you just feel like the whole thing is about prodding and coercing people to worship. I wish that we would individually get to our own place where it doesn't matter if Janelle worships or not, I'm going to worship. Where it doesn't matter if Kayla worships or not, I'm going to worship. I wish we would get to the place where we didn't feel like we even had to coerce and prod and, and bribe people to worship. Team, when you get up to lead worship, just worship. Don't worry about who worships and who don't. Just worship. Just lift God up and He will move. Worship becomes second in nature. It becomes natural to us and, listen to me, especially new converts, listen to me, it also becomes essential to our growth as Christians. In fact, Paul says that corporate worship is necessary because we teach and encourage each other as we worship. We need to worship together. There is strength and encouragement and courage that comes when we worship together. However, Paul also addresses the personal daily worship. Personal daily worship. Our view and understanding of worship must expand until we simply see our entire, our whole life as worship. Richard Foster wrote a book that I read in college, actually, uh, in a Bible class called The Celebration of Discipline. If you've never read that book, I recommend that you read it. This is a direct quote that he said in that book. He said, 
cause every task of your day to be a sacred ministry to the Lord. However mundane your duties, for you, they are a sacrament. Our lives should become a lifestyle of worship. Foster was just simply reiterating or restating what Paul had already taught. Your daily life is the real platform of worship. In fact, I believe it is as we learn to worship in our daily routine of life that we are prepared and positioned to come together like we are this morning and not only minister to the Father, but also minister to one another. Church members worship on Sundays. But disciples live a lifestyle of worship that bleeds over onto Sunday. How much worship do you do outside of Sunday mornings or Wednesday nights? I didn't say singing. I said worship. As disciples, we must devote ourselves to giving affection and attention to the one we say we are following. So disciples are persistent in worship. So if you were here last Sunday, then you may say, wait a minute, you just repeated what you said last Sunday about prayer. And I know I did that on purpose. Because the record indicates that the disciples learned to worship in spite of, rather than when it was comfortable or convenient. They learned to worship in spite of their circumstances, rather than waiting till it was comfortable or convenient. Just as too many of us give up in prayer, too many of us have allowed the convenience of worship to whittle away at our ability to persevere in worship. By being unable or unwilling sometimes to worship in the tough times of life, we evaluate what we are facing, at least in our minds and in our spirits. We elevate, not evaluate, what we're facing, that situation into a higher place of power and a higher place of attention worthiness than God. Did you hear me? When we are unable or unwilling to worship in those bad times, we're elevating that situation or circumstance, whatever it is, above God. And it's attention worthiness. And what was true about their prayer life was equally true in regards to their worship life. See, we like to be taught and we like the the lesson, you might call it the Bible lesson, that God is sovereign and God will turn our setbacks into triumphs. You can preach that and people will shout. But however, we must also, I said we must also learn the lesson that if He doesn't turn things around, His praiseworthiness is unaffected and undiminished. If you don't hear anything else I say today, listen to this. Tweet this. Our devotion to worship is based on who we worship, not what we face. Did you hear me? Our devotion to worship is based on who we worship, not what we face. Because if you're waiting on a time to feel like worshiping, You'll go through a lot of times in your life when you just don't feel like worshiping. But I can promise you, when you put whatever you're facing to the side, 
When you put whatever you're facing away and you make your focus on God and you press in and you persevere in worship that situation will begin to look differently than the way you viewed it before because as you worship, listen to me this morning, this is good. As you worship, God goes to battle for you. But God can't fight for you if you can't even work. Or let me put it like this. He won't fight for you if you can't even worship Him because of what you're facing. But if you will determine in your heart, God, greater is He that is in me than what is going on in this world. It doesn't matter what's happening in my life. It doesn't change the fact that you are still worthy. You are still deserving. You are still holy. You are still God. And I'm going to praise you in spite of what's going on in my life. Hallelujah. If you can only, if God can only be worshipped when things are going good, then you have a God and you are serving a God that is no longer sovereign, nor is He in control. Or, I like this one too, I had to put it in here. You have a God that you're trying to manipulate and hold hostage. How dare we ever tell God, if you do this, I'll praise you. How dare we ever tell God, if you move in this, I'll praise you. Pastor, shouldn't we praise him if he moves? Yes, we should. But we should praise him if he doesn't move. Just the same. I'll only worship when you do what I want is what we're saying when we act that way in worship. I want you to stop just a minute and think about what the disciples were facing while they were developing their commitment to worship. While they worshiped, they were being persecuted. They were being tortured. They were being imprisoned, rejected, stoned, scattered, excommunicated. But yet what they faced deepened their worship. They had learned the worship toughness of Job. Job was blessed. He was rich, prosperous. He had a fine family, a full bank account. But then, just like that, he lost it all. His kids passed away. His livelihood was gone. He had sickness rather than strength. But yet we find in Job 1 and 21 that Job said, The Lord gave. And the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. You see, God is to be praised when He gives everything that my heart desires. But just as a disciple, I have to be persistent in worship even when He takes away. His praiseworthiness is not affected by His giving or taking. We have to learn in this thing to make what the Hebrew writer calls a sacrifice of praise. That's more than just when it's convenient or when they didn't sing my song. I'll make a sacrifice and I'll worship God anyway. Because all of that other stuff is petty. Did you hear me? It's petty. A sacrifice is a sacrifice only when it costs you something. So getting all upset that it cost you something. Maybe it cost, oh, boy, this is a good thought. It had to be right out of heaven. Maybe it cost you that they didn't sing your song. 
Maybe it costs you that it's not your favorite style of music. Lord, that's divine fresh preaching, whether anybody amens me or not. Maybe it costs you that it wasn't what you wanted to hear. But when you make a sacrifice of praise, God will honor your sacrifice. A sacrifice of praise means I worship when it makes no sense. I worship when I'd rather be bitter. I worship when I'd rather place blame. I worship when I don't have time, when I don't have the strength, when I'm sick, when I'm broken, when I'm down, and when it didn't turn out like I wanted to because God is worthy, I will worship. True disciples worship. I'm going to close with this this morning. Today is Palm Sunday. They've already mentioned that. Candy already mentioned that. We call it Palm Sunday because palm branches, as she already mentioned, were placed along with cloaks along the path that Jesus rode into on his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. But we also call it Palm Sunday because palm branches are what the people waved during worship as Jesus took his triumphant entry into Jerusalem. Why palm branches? The palm branch was a symbol, listen to this, of victory for the faithful over the enemy of the soul. That'll preach a whole message right there. Palm branches were a symbol of victory for the faithful over the enemy of the soul. So as they worshipped, waving their palm branches, Jesus, riding on a donkey, not only as the spiritual Messiah who would take away the sins of the world, but as a potential political leader who would overthrow the Romans, Jesus entered into Jerusalem. So they waved palm branches and they worshipped signifying, symbolizing the victory that will come after we have worshipped. Do you follow? So all, all four Gospels include the triumphal entry of Jesus Christ into Jerusalem. You can find it in Matthew 21, Mark 11, and Luke 19. But I want to read the account for you from John chapter 12, verses 12 through 15. In the NLT, he said, The next day, the news that Jesus was on the way to Jerusalem swept through the city. A large crowd of Passover visitors took palm branches and went down the road to meet him. Look at this. I like the NLT. Even if it is the Baptist ordained version. Read what it says. They, what? They shouted. Well, I declare. Next time your Baptist friends tell you we're crazy, read them this verse and say, this is out of the Billy Graham endorsed version that y'all preach out of all the time. Right here it is. They shouted praise God blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord hail to the king of Israel Jesus found a young donkey and rode on it fulfilling the prophecy that said don't be afraid people of Jerusalem look your king is coming riding on a donkey's colt your king is coming and then we find at the end of the Bible in Revelation chapter 7 verse 9 it says John said after this I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count boy I tell you what sometimes when I begin to think about heaven I want to preach a message on heaven so bad I can taste it I just ain't got it all together yet there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation Every tribe, 
every people and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Look at this. They were wearing white robes and they were holding palm branches in their hands. <laughs> they were worshiping then. I got stirred up at my house when I began to think about this because if you'll notice something this morning, and go ahead and come to the music if you will. I'm about to wrap it up. If you'll notice something this morning, when he came to this earth the very first time, we find that the wise men came from afar to do what? To worship him. When we find him triumphantly entering Jerusalem, he came to those who were prepared to meet him with worship. They were waving palm branches. And if John the Revelator is right, and I know that he is because this is the word of God that I'm reading it from, so I know that he's right, then the ones who make that multitude that no man could number that John saw will be those, listen to me this morning, that multitude is going to be made up of those who are prepared to meet him with worship when he returns. I don't think that it's just by happen chance that it says in Revelations chapter 7 and 9 that they were wearing white robes and they were holding palm branches. What that says is, is that they were adorned spotless without wrinkle. They were clean and ready and they were worshiping. They were worshiping him at his return. Can I tell you something this morning? I apologize in advance if I get worked up but can I tell you this morning the God that you serve he comes to those who will worship him if he only comes to those who worship then somebody anybody tell me why we would withhold our worship why we would withhold our praise why we would enter the house of God week after week and sit in silence and stand in silence and withhold our worship when we read in this word that He's waiting to come to those who will worship Him. Hallelujah. John chapter 4, and I'm going to close with this. Chapter, chapter 4, verse 23 in the Amplified Version says, But a time is coming and is already here. Did you hear that? April the 14th, 2019, it's already here. When true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit. I love how the Amplified explains this. From the heart, the inner self, and in truth. For the Father seeks. He's looking for those people to be His worshipers. Why is He seeking them? Because... He comes to those who will worship. I wish somebody would stand with me all over this house this morning and take just about 30 seconds and worship Him. Would you do that? If He comes to those only who worship, I don't know about you, but I want Him to come to me. Just concentrate on Him for about 30 seconds and worship Him. Hallelujah.
How devoted to worship are you? How devoted are you to personal moments of praise? How devoted are you to spending time at His feet? How devoted are you to corporate worship? Does any excuse keep you away? Is it a priority? Or is it an option? Right before I close, I want you to look at me. I want to mention this. Because I'm done with this series. We haven't paid any attention to the last verse in that passage. So I'm going to hit that down. I'll be done. As a direct response to the disciples being fully devoted students, prayers, and worshipers, God, not that verse, our main text, the last verse of our main text, because they were fully devoted students, prayers, and worshipers, God added to the church daily. Do you see that? The Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. I just want to point out the obvious this morning so that we don't miss what's what's right under our nose. And that is kingdom growth was granted. And let me say this. I feel like I need to say this. I love this church better than anything. And I know there's people in this church that love this church better than anything. And you think this church is better than any other church. You ought to love your church that way. I'm not criticizing that. But listen to your pastor. This church is about kingdom growth. It's not about organizational growth or structure. We'll do what we need to do so that we can try to accommodate those that want to worship here. But this church was founded and will remain so long as I'm the pastor on kingdom growth. It doesn't matter to me where you go to church after you get saved here, if you get saved here. There, we've, been, we've baptized more than we've uh, taken in from the salvations for direct membership because they had family that went to church somewhere else and they went to church somewhere else. That's perfectly fine. This church is about kingdom growth. Listen to me. So I just want to say this. Growth was granted. Kingdom growth was granted when the disciples were simply devoted to what was important. Perhaps if they had been distracted, and how easily it is for us to get distracted, on the trivial, the mundane, the complicated, and sometimes even good things. I've talked to our staff about sometimes things are good things, but they're not necessarily God things. We can get distracted and overworked in good things. And if they had allowed that to happen, their growth would not have been recorded here. Would have been missing. It was these things, though. They were fully devoted disciples first. Personal relationship. Fully devoted students of this word. They read the word. Fully devoted prayers. They did not forsake to pray. And fully devoted worshipers. And because of that, God calls the world to take notice that something was different about these people. That's my prayer. God calls this Tri-County area to take notice that something is different and help us add to the kingdom.